0: Welcome to Black Imagination, where Antoine and I open up our Black space to our Black and Brown friends doing dope things in Milwaukee's arts and culture scene. Black Imagination is a part of the Imagine MKE podcast network.
1: So go get out your sage sticks, light some incense, and join the conversation. Be sure to follow us at Imagine MKE on all your favorite social media platforms and subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts. And now, here's the show.
0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Black Imagination. I am your co-host, Kenita Hickman, um, the Director of Artist Support and Outreach here at Imagine MKE. And I got my homeboy with me.
1: How you guys doing? This is Antoine Carter, Director of Neighborhood Partnerships. What's going on, Kenita?
0: What is going on? So first of all, it has been a while since we've done a podcast, but this is also our last podcast of the year.
1: Yes, this is like our season finale, yeah,
0: yeah, so we're gonna be talking a little bit about um the show and kind of some learnings and things like that, maybe our favorite mm-hmm. moments. um, then we'll transition into into some other stuff, but yeah, i mean how do you how do you think the season went?
1: I I will say that this was definitely an experience, just thinking about how we wanted the podcast to be. I'm really proud of this past season though, still, like it was a very awesome journey. And I feel like we got a good group of people to share their thoughts with us over the season. So it was, it was very interesting for me. How about you?
0: Well, um, I just want to make it clear. I was I was not thrilled about doing a podcast. And so I wish you guys kind of seen my reaction when Antoine was like, yeah, me, Kenita can do a podcast. And like, yeah. my face was like, huh? Why would we do that, Antoine? Um, and so it's interesting to me, uh, but if, I think, let me back out and say, but once he said it, I trust Antoine. And so I was like, well, here we go. I guess I am now doing a podcast. Um, And I've been pleasantly surprised just about how much I've needed this affinity space, especially during COVID. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what Black imagination would look like if there was no pandemic, if there wasn't... Um, what I've been calling the senseless and egregious thefts of Black lives, because I think to me that feels more accurate to what's happening, these these thefts of uh, folks stealing Black lives that don't belong to them. Um, I, so I think in the midst of all of that, I found that Black imagination as a show both the interviews and the time that you and i have spent in putting them together has been incredibly necessary for um, my spirit so it's one of those pleasant surprises that i wasn't expecting so i'm really grateful for it
1: thinking back is there a particular conversation that stands out from the podcast
0: so all of them stand out for me. I think for multiple reasons. I'll say one that I was incredibly, one that just incredible that just blew my mind was uh, Dr. Jeanette Kowalik and Chief of Staff Lil- Lillian Payne because, um, again, we're in a pandemic. Um, we had scheduled that interview before Dr. Kowalik had made her announcement, and. I don't know, I guess I just, if I had put in a notice, I would probably clear my calendar. Is that petty? Like I would just, I'm not doing any interviews, but for her to still be excited about coming to to talk to us and showing up, um, as well as Chief of Staff Lillian Payne, I'm sure she had a million other things she could do in the transition of um, Dr. Kowalik leaving. And so that one kind of sticks out um, to me. I would say um, that one and probably uh, maybe Dr. Monique Liston because that felt like such a cleansing conversation. What about you?
1: So quick story about um, the one about Lillian Payne and Dr. Kowalik. Um, I talked to Chief of Staff Payne later and she mentioned that like, a nephew of hers checked out that podcast and he said, she sounded pretty, you sound pretty cool auntie. So, Aww. so we make people seem cool to the younger generations, which is interesting. I didn't, I thought that was pretty cool. Cause you know, it seems like black imagination tends to pull out unique conversations from folks.
0: Yeah, unique conversations. And I would say Black imagination has become a space where um, we can talk about things that are specific to the culture. And so um, Lafayette being on the show um, mm-hmm. and talking about um, the fraternity he's a part of and a little bit about the history of um, the historic uh Black Greek organizations, like you just never really know what the conversation is gonna morph into. But I I will say that for me, every conversation we've had have felt like kinfolk conversations. Mm -hmm. And again, at a time where we're so separated from everyone, including our kinfolk, it's nice to be able to have these kinfolk conversations with my skinfolk. So that has been nice.
1: Yes. Yes yes nicola costa was a great episode i think the energy in that one was like so genuine and authentic
0: she's gonna be so upset with me for saying this but she's also our first guest to curse on the show and so oh yeah that was awesome
1: (laughs) we learned a new we learned a new lesson that episode
0: we thought we were gonna be canceled (laughs) But apparently, guests can curse on the show. We cannot, and so I, I do have to edit myself a little bit because I'm a little. Um, I do use the F bomb freely, and so I have to. I have to monitor that um, for Black imagination. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think overall, like, it's been it's been an incredible space. What are you What are you kind of looking forward? Well, before we, I actually, you what you're looking forward to. Are there some things that you've learned maybe about yourself or maybe about the podcast or the system as we've kind of done these episodes, our first season?
1: Um, I definitely want to give a kudos to any podcaster who is podcasting <laughs> in, ti- in current time, because this is not a easy thing to do even to think about guests and things to talk about and, and putting everything together post-editing. I think uh, as someone who um, is a business major, <laughs> never really thought about sort of the, the full spectrum of what it is to bring something to fruition. So I've learned a lot. And even in the conversations like Dr. Mo, I think uh just thinking about my imagination muscle in general, mm-hmm. and uh just always keeping that in mind, I think uh there has been that and uh one thing Dr. Koalik said, which was that um in her notice. In her observation of Milwaukee, she noticed that um, sometimes, because Milwaukee's small, walkie, there is a energy where no one wants to step on each other's toes, mm-hmm. or offend anyone, um, or make someone mad in an effort to get um, a greater outcome. And I think um, I think that was something that. You notice know, like list I always listen to people who are not from here because they mm-hmm. come with a fresh set of or someone who has came who lived here and came back from a different place just because their perspective uh is no longer I, but it's like a third person perspective um and i wanna I wanna challenge those things i wanna i wanna show that Milwaukee has partners at the table who can be honest um, with their friends and challenge them and be challenged to do better. Um, And I'm really just excited for that opportunity in 2021.
0: I think one of my learnings for sure is just about interview style um, I am somebody who likes to give affirmation while the person is talking that I'm still with them. So, mm mm-hmm. uh uh-huh, those types of things. <laughs> and when I've listened back to the playbacks of the show, sometimes it's a little excessive on my end. And so, um, and and at times for me, it felt a little disruptive. And so just learning how to be a better listener in its most like literal sense. So how do I do less of that? Um, and I think it plays a little differently because we record via Zoom. And so you can also see me. So it feels like we're in this conversation together. Um, but when you listen back to it, it can almost sound like I'm over-talking. So I think the the critique in the, the yeah, the, the person who likes to be critical, me, um, is is thinking of that, but also just like the breadth of conversations. Like it was just so incredible to have people. Um, the truth is, a lot of these conversations are likely conversations we would have been having over a glass of wine
1: at mm-hmm. like
0: a restaurant in Milwaukee, right? And it wouldn't be recorded. Um, but again, that ability to hang out with affinity groups is has been disrupted. And so um, I also got to say the other part of podcasting that I like is Che. So just seeing how and when he'll show up um, during the podcast has been uh, incredible. So I saw him peeking above your head and I was like, oh, it's about to be good.
1: His hair has grown
0: out nicely too. But yeah, so I think that um, one of the things I'm curious about is how do we how do we get more diversity and voices on the show? So like, you know, we we have a wish list of people who we want on the show, empty twins. And like, we just want to spread this whole Black imagination love like all over. We want everybody on the mm-hmm.
1: show. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think uh, I, I love the idea. I think uh, when we first started the season, it was like, let's find really cool people to talk about to talk to, not talk about, um, and, well, and talk about, to talk mm-hmm. to and about. Um, and I think eventually, like midway through, we had this idea to just, in, to create a series of of interviews where we interviewed specific people and, and then we created the Trust Black Women Tour. I really liked, just being able, I feel like that was an extra le- level of breath and depth that we got to see just and hear from so many dynamic women of color who are smart and funny and articulate and wise. And I think uh, it was an honor to to be a part of those conversations and to share those with our listeners.
0: Yeah, and you know, you really coined it that, the Trust Black Women Tour, Um, and so I want to thank you specifically because I think when you're, when someone is in a power or space of privilege or hierarchy, it can be difficult for you to, for a person to step back, to relinquish that, to uplift someone else. But in all of the podcasts and the Trust Black Women tour, like you were so um, gracious in like giving up the mic so that Black women, myself included, could have these conversations, um, and that's incredible because people people say tr- they trust Black women they don't really trust black women people say listen to black women but they don't really listen to black women Mm -hmm. and i can honestly say i mean antoine is married to a strong black woman uh probably one of the strongest Mm -hmm. um (laughs) his mama is a strong black woman who i had the opportunity to meet when we could be outside at one of our gallery nights and I can tell you there is no one she liked talking about more than Antoine. And I got all the tea on the type (laughs) of music he listened to growing up. Like she, she loved her baby. Um, And so, yeah. So like, I think, and being in partnership with Antoine for these podcasts and him helping to create that space and really saying, no, this is what we're doing and we want it promoted this way. And this is what it needs to look like. Um, He was very instrumental in that. Um, The conversations themselves were very, again, healing for me, Dr. Mo, Marcasia Tucker, um, and exciting. Like, we were excited Mm -hmm. every week. Like, hey, Mm -hmm. we meeting with, you know, Malkia Stampley or Della, oh my gosh, Della Wells. Della Wells is probably the best because the first interview we did with her, the audio wasn't right. And so we kept saying um hey we want to reschedule we want to reschedule she kept saying just send me a date send me a date but it took us a while because we had already scheduled some of these other dates to talk to um, these other individuals and other other women um but that was so great to just talk to somebody talk to one of the ogs in the art space um man i mean we've had some incredible conversations
1: Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm yeah it's it's been a it's been a awesome journey, this first season of Black Imagination. But uh, the, the cloud over all of this is 2020 and some of the issues that are going on, both as far as social justice, mm-hmm. as far as our economy, mm-hmm. um, and as far as this pandemic.
0: Yeah, and I think the pandemic and more ways than one. I mean, certainly it's impacted how we work. I mean, just how we live, how we go to the grocery store. I mean, now I have to think about grab your wallet, grab your ID, grab your insurance card, grab your sanitizer or your gloves, grab your mask Mm -hmm. or your shield. Um, I've definitely gotten heavy back into having groceries ordered. Um, Yeah. I mean, but I think for me even now thinking about it i didn't recognize the emotional and mental toll that being in this pandemic has had for me and the the isolation and i mean i just kind of want to add you know for folks who are connected to you antoine on on facebook they know um they know that you've experienced some loss directly connected to COVID. And I think it's so, so interesting for us to, to point that out because when we look at the statistics of who is impacted by COVID, here's a black man who's now experienced, you know, some, some significant losses. And so um, while certainly it's been a cloud over, I thought it might be cool for me to turn over the mic to my colleague and my co-host and my friend, um, a black man to just kind of not just talk about the loss, but to talk about the incredible people, um, they were and to kind of memorialize them. So take it away, Antoine.
1: Um, yeah, uh, 2020, what a year. I can say that, um, there's been a lot of ups and downs um, from, from like, I, I remember issues that we had in January and like that was stuff like gallery nights and, and how to make sure those were, were really awesome. But um, over the course of the year, this pandemic has really hit my family hard. Um, my mother was in the hospital early, like right before the, um, the country shut down and, um, she didn't have COVID, um, but it was the precaution. So I really wasn't able to see her, really wasn't able to touch her, um, keep in touch. And that was was really really hard to start before like before we were kind of stuck in the house um and so I was really really that set me in a in a phase to really be protective of myself because I then can protect my mom um but over the course of just the course of the year april i lost my aunt um my aunt gloria gloria robinson who um was managing Nino Southern sides those were all sides created by like my grandma that she taught her and my mom and that was devastating i think uh Oftentimes in our families, we don't have the relationships that we want. Like we may not have, you know, the dad who throws and plays catch with you or, you know, the uncles and aunts who slide you 20s and cool stuff like that. I I did have a great relationship with my aunt. She was a great person. She, she loved... She loved family. She loved bringing to people together over food and and good music. Um, I remember she's like the first businesswoman who I ever really met. Like she, she started, she managed as a kid um, a bowling alley on like 50th and Burleigh, and uh, that's where our, all of our family kind of hung out, and then after that um she they moved to a they started a bar her and her husband created a bar on like north avenue and like bremen it's now the uh the closet it's that weird store that sells like lingerie and hemp (laughs) but it used to be a bar it was called a thousand east sports bar and I saw her turn that into a big company, and then saw her turn it into something really cool. And then they started, you know, they bought a, they bought a, they bought a truck like an ice cream truck, and and I just saw her do take all these risks, and and see her kind of come out on top. And um, Nino's was like the latest thing that she was doing. Um, But she always included her family. Um, She always made time for her family. She, uh, I think, uh, oftentimes to the detriment of her own, she had uh, leukemia and lupus. And so um, she was just starting to get ready for chemo and starting to get the ports installed. And that's when she got hit with COVID and... I think people people need to understand that this is hard. Like, of course it's hard to to not be with your family, but it's harder to lose a loved one, to have to go to a funeral and there's only, you can only spend 30 minutes there and you can't sit next to your loved ones because of social distancing. it's it's, uh, it's traumatizing in a sense. And, and I lost other aunts during this time too. My aunt Julie, she passed and it was so early in the lockdown that like they didn't even have a funeral. And then I lost my aunt, um, my aunt Dee. She had uh, cancer and decided that she wanted to live her last Few weeks and months the way she wanted to, so um, that was cool. That was that was a situation this year that I was actually it just drew us a, drew us back because it was just another person and 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 to think of like not just how these people are influenced in my life, like this was my mom's two sister-in-laws and her sister. And um, you just always want to put yourself in a position to protect your family, to protect, like I like seeing my mom, so I personally don't want to be the person who brings that to the home and and unfortunately, um, my my stepdad he brought it to our home. Luckily, my mom was was able to avoid it. But my stepdad just a few weeks ago passed away from from COVID as well. And. Um, i think for me all this trauma stacked on top of trauma it's really just been tough because it's people who are are close who who i ask for advice who who i listen to and appreciate and i know um I want to thank, I want to thank my, my colleagues at Imagine, you included, Kanita, for um, supporting me during that time. It's, I'm usually like, one of my five strengths is positivity. <laughs> and uh, it's been, it's been troubling and, and harder this year to, to display that, that strength um, just because of all the things that have been going on, um, and tomorrow I actually go to, um, I had, my, my, my dad wanted to be buried, um, next to his mom in Alabama, so I have to go there, and, and I feel like, honestly, I haven't been able to actually deal with what's going on, I think, uh, with, helping plan and making sure those things were set. I think, uh, you remove your emotions from it to get through. And I think I'm still at the point where I'm still doing that. Um, cause I feel like the mission isn't complete yet, but, um, after, after I get back, it's definitely going to be, um, time to get to work on just trying to figure out what what to do with that with that hole with that energy uh with that feeling i know my son he he lost his best friend i know like they used to hang out every saturday and stay up all night and wrestle and watch westerns and And I just, just wish that my son didn't have to experience it like this. I think um, when you talk about COVID, it's not, I don't view it as I I don't view it as, well, it was their time and it was, you know, like, My stepdad was 70 plus years old. And uh, before those two weeks, it seemed like he was all right to live the next 10, 15 years. He woke up with purpose every day, went to work. He was a business owner. Um, My stepdad was born in 1944, right? So that was very, very... In in rural Alabama, might I? So like he was in the middle of all of the Jim Crow and things like that. I remember he was a, a fairly strong kid growing up, so he didn't even uh, he didn't even get to finish school because he was so strong. So they kept him out in the fields. Um, but he was able to kind of get through, and then he came up here to to find a better life, a different life, like most people in the Great Migration. Um, retired from a job, I think he was a uh, some sort of steel worker. Um, but I remember I had, um I went to um, Selma. Uh, I was I was blessed to be invited to recreate the march from Selma to Montgomery. Um, I think it was in 2015. So that was five years ago. And um, you start at the Edmund Pettus Bridge, uh, which is where Bloody Sunday happened, where Turnaround Tuesday, all those things happen and they finally start. Um, and I remember thinking at the time, if that was 1965, that means my my pops was like 19 or 20 and he was from that area. So, um, I was, I was staying in Selma at one of the hotels and like, it was mad empty. And I remember just thinking like, I wonder where he was at during all this and uh and i called him and uh that whole time he had told me to be safe and all that stuff and i was like hey man uh i'm doing the math man and like you were you were a young buck at this time and he's like yeah and i'm like uh were you a part of any of this like like you were i know i know you I don't know, I don't take you as like knowing Stokely Carmichael, but I imagine you had to have some sort of skin in the game. And uh, he said, yeah. And um, he told me that uh, I think he was there for Bloody Sunday and uh, he was in the back, so he wasn't in the front. And uh, he saw the carnage that was in front of him and just people getting just beaten, and hoses and dogs and, and all those things. And um, he told me, he looked over at the bridge, looked at the Alabama river, saw that it was a high tide and jumped. And uh, at first I was like, man, you are jacking. You are jacking, man. Like, but in the I went back and just talked to folks because there was some folks there who are from, who's from Alabama, like real folks. And, um, they said, Oh yeah. If the, if the tide is, up, then yeah, you can jump that and live. And it made me think like, wow, like the sacrifices that people make, um, he lived through a lot of stuff. Like, he lived, he bought a house in Franklin Heights, uh, which is just north of, which is just north of Amani. It's like the neighborhood across on Hopkins, where I grew up. And uh, he said, when he first moved there, he bought the house from a white man. But he had Basically he had got like a lot of like just pushback from trying to buy the house. So he had a white man impersonate him to get the deed and all that stuff for the house because they wouldn't do it for a black man. And it just made me think, wow, like that was in the fifties. I was in like, It's not too long ago my mom she was born around that time like i think about how he was he was what 21 22 when black people could vote in general and uh and i appreciate that history because it just um keeps me centered man keeps me knowing what i need to to fight for and knowing that there were people before me who um who put in sweat equity who who just went through just crazier stuff and we just got to make sure that that things are better i um I heard on TV uh, yesterday that there are, that it was easier to buy a home during segregation for a black person than it is to buy a home right now. And uh, man, I don't know, all that stuff just really, Makes me disappointed, but also empowers me and enrages. Like, like what James Baldwin said: "Like to be a black person in America, who's somewhat woke, is to always be in a constant state of rage." And um, and I think going forward people just need to people just need to wear their damn masks like I wouldn't have to I wouldn't have to be dealing with all this trauma if people cared about others and really really tried I think uh Cases are getting higher and higher and I'm just tired of people feeling like I do right now. So I got prayers for folks and um, and I really didn't know how to end this, but I do miss all of the people who um, whose lives were, were lost in my, in my circle. And um and I say prayers to to all the other families who who have lost. Um and we just gotta do better. It's almost like it's personal. Like you remember in uh on the movie Blank Man when uh they killed the robot J five and uh and he was pissed and he was like Manelli, you're going down like that's how i feel like <laughs> <laughs> uh all those like those scenes in the movie where like the person dies and it's like no and then they zoom into the person's face and they're like like you got that nah it's personal that's how i feel so So please don't make me go off on you for not wearing a mask. (laughs) Anybody I know, uh, man, did I talk too much?
0: No, no, that I, that's what the space was for. For you to, you to talk as much as you felt you wanted and needed to. And I thank you for sharing that and, you know, talking about your aunt and talking about your father, um, yeah, I mean, it was difficult for me after finding out about the loss of your aunt and stepfather and then seeing the news, right, when they do the daily count and me being like, ah, that number really represents somebody. And I, I know people who've gotten sick, various degrees of of sick from, from COVID, including a, a good friend of mine who was on a ventilator for 10 days. And so... To everybody listening, look, this this is a scary time. And I mean, I can say I don't like that I can't walk to my mailbox anymore without my mask. But that is because I stay in an apartment building. But that is where we're at, where I'm not just wearing my mask for me. I'm wearing it for everyone else too. I'm not sanitizing my hands just for me. But I have to be more diligent about it because a lot of y'all not doing it
1: mm-hmm.
0: because you're doing some things and, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to yeah. cast judgment on folks. You live how you live, but I choose, you know, I would love to be able to have a drink on at an outdoor patio. And that's just not a permission I've given myself. Um, and it's a permission that I'm not going to give myself until we are out of where we are right now. And I mean, know i was talking about it to some friends like i just i I wonder is this so difficult for us as an american culture because it's been so long since we've been asked to sacrifice something like the the last time Mm -hmm. i can think of of a sacrifice as americans um i don't know if it was world war two one but it was the one i clearly i don't do well with history um, <laughs> but it was the one where <laughs> all the men were sent off to war and women were being asked to go and work in the factories and you couldn't have metal. You know, if you had something that was metal, you had to send it off so that it could be sent to make weapons for war. And <clears throat> to me, that's the last time I can think of where as a culture, I mean, Black folks been, been sacrificing for a while. So I'm talking specifically about American culture Um, and I should say people of color and I should say poor people. So including everybody in that, Um, but in terms of the sacrifice Mm -hmm. and things that they're often asked to do, but Americans as an, as a society, as a culture, I think it has been a while since we've been all asked to sacrifice something that makes us comfortable um, to benefit our, our fellow American. And it is difficult for a lot of people, but The thing that I think about that I've thought about Antoine and I don't know how this will land on you is I was talking to my mom because I wanted to spend time with my mom for the holidays and so I was asking her um how did she feel about us as a family going to get tested she cussed me out told me she wasn't doing it and I was like okay well how do you feel about wearing a mask um and having the rest of the family wear a mask if I come by she wasn't with that either and I remember telling her, you know, I have a co-worker who's had three incidences of COVID in his family, two of which resulted in death. Um, so if, if you're not willing to do this, then we can't be together and that's fine. But it made me think about us at work, right? And like how many other people on our staff, myself included, can kind of say that? Like I had a great aunt who passed away from COVID being in the nursing home, but I wasn't incredibly close to her she's on my dad's side of the family so that that loss didn't feel as um that loss was was heavy but not as heavy as some of my other cousins right but I think about the statistics and I think about dang here's a black man you and we know COVID is impacting black families more you're you're a black guy who making good money and you know all you check off all these other boxes and yet you and your family Mm -hmm. have taken a really substantial loss in terms of two of the anchors that um have had you know have, have kept your family um rooted and no one else really has these stories no one else is really experiencing the weight of this in the same way that this black man has had to experience it and it it's, it's heartbreaking. I was surprised that you didn't take off more time from work. Um, and I was definitely in your wife's DM, like, he probably shouldn't come back to work. He probably needs to cry. He need to, he, he probably need a moment.
1: Oh yeah, man. It's been, it's been rough.
0: And I think it's so important that, that even in the midst of, right, that we give ourselves time to begin healing, um, you know, but I also understood that you probably wanted to come back to work to work and to have a moment where you weren't engulfed in this. And so I think for me, I've just tried to be as supportive as possible in whatever direction you wanted to move.
1: Yeah, I think uh throughout this whole thing, like I had mad anxiety this year, just like just like not wanting to expose any like not wanting to contract it and expose anybody to it. Right. So that made me really like a a lot of my professional career the last couple of years has been like going to meetings and engaging with people and partners and um to not be able to do that was hard to not be able to really do anything was hard and even that was starting to build like this anxiousness and like I wouldn't necessarily say I was depressed, but I was down because I'm a I'm a woo. I'm a I'm a ex I'm an extrovert. I'm not I I get excited when I meet a bunch of people. Like I'm like a kid off a ride. I'm like again. Yes. yes. So so this has been a really tough time for me as far as adjusting to not getting that, I feel like I'm a tropical plant in like a bad environment for growth, like a tropical plant in like Wisconsin. It's hard for a tropical plant to thrive in a winter in Wisconsin. I feel like 2020 um, in trying to do the right thing. Cause like, we could have been just complete, you know, dummies, dumb babies, like Angelica Pickles would say, and have been exposing, you know, and just been out there. But, like, I think there, the anxiety does build in someone who's used to feeding off of other people's energy and and, and building them that way.
0: I can definitely.
1: Um, not being able to do that for months for months. I can definitely
0: say I was depressed. Months. Absolutely. Like that first, the uh, the artist relief fund. All while we was doing artist relief fund, mm-hmm. I was in a heavy depression. I wasn't, this is probably way too much TMI for this podcast, but here we are. Um, I mean, I was showing up to well, Zoom calls in a bonnet and a bathrobe. I was not showering. Like that wasn't happening. And I was in that for about six weeks. It was just, I mean, at work, we transitioned quickly because we we knew that we had to support this capacity as in real time, people's shows were getting canceled, art fairs were being canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, and it felt like such a whirlwind. It was hard for me to find my place. To your point, um, how do I, you know, for you, you're married, I'm dating. How do I continue this and keep this individual safe? How do I keep my family safe? Um, What does the world look like? You know, it's incredible to me to think about now, it's December, what, 3rd? I have not been in a restaurant since March. The last restaurant I was in was um, to sit down with Sherman Phoenix. And it was a couple days after my last work group because I I decided to work from home that Friday or work off location that Friday, and then that Sunday, we decided that we weren't coming back to the office. Um, so, yeah, I was depressed, and then I think again these these thefts of Black lives just kind of jumped on that some more. And we we've talked about it on the show um, specifically. Mm-hmm. I think it was Dr. Mo's just like I at some point I have to stop talking about this because for everyone else who doesn't have this lived experience, they're less interested in hearing about my grief over Breonna Taylor or George Floyd. But those are things that I carry with me every day. The images that I saw of of Mm -hmm. what happened, so the broadcasting of these thefts of life, um, the lack of justice for these thefts of life. You know, I thought about it Thanksgiving when I was you know, sending one up to, to the Lord for you, Antoine and your family. I was also thinking about Brianna's family who now whose baby will never come home. I was thinking about her boyfriend, Kenny, like again, whose partner is never coming home. And so I think 2020 and being like mirrored in all of that and not really knowing how to release that it's been incredible to have black imagination because If nothing else, it's provided a space for me and you to have those conversations. And then you bring Mm. in all of these other incredible um, Black professionals in their respective spaces, um, connections to art, but also the intersectionality and to be able to grieve at points and mourn with them. I should say Black and Brown because Nicola Costa was on the show as well. So to be able to grieve with these individuals um, and mourn in this way, but also celebrate the resiliency of what it means to be BIPOC, what it means to be Black, what it means to be a woman or a man in this space right now, um, has been incredibly, again, cleansing um, and necessary just because of of what we're dealing with. And I think more so than that, Black Imagination created a platform for you to talk about your aunt and your dad. And um, I'm glad that I was able to ask you if you were comfortable with it. I'm thankful that you said yes and that you you started that process. Um, And it's incredible that all of our listeners will be able to hear this really great year in conversation um, about how things have landed on Antoine and I and also um, this opportunity to celebrate his family who... You know, like it's not just a lost soul. There, there's a family that won't be made whole. Mm. And um to be able to share what made them amazing and hear about these stories um, you know, of your aunt's entrepreneurial entrepreneurial um work. Like again, thank you for sharing that with us and, and sharing it with our our listeners.
1: And no problem. I feel like uh like I don't have a problem talking about my aunt, my dad, even, even the virus. I think the only time I get really down is just looking at the numbers because I see so many people I love in those numbers.
0: And you um, also oh boy So I
1: think. No, I think that's just the the one time where I try to fast forward mm-hmm. the t v show or I try not to pay as much attention because mm-hmm. and uh and i've worked with I've worked with neighborhoods who felt the same way like where a phrase like like homicide is viewed um in a way that's really traumatic and and people view. They see like their cousin they see like their family member and they don't and they see more than that so um
0: I think that's the thing these things are not isolated they don't happen in a bubble you know mm-hmm. these individuals not just in Antoine's family but all everyone's families who's been at, impacted by somebody who's had a mild case or was hospitalized or you know eventually, eventually perished from it Like there's so many people that these individuals touched um, that really does feel like we're all connected in this moment globally um, through this pandemic and through this experience of of loss and grief and sadness. And so it's so important that we just do what's best for everybody. Like if you don't feel like you need to wear a mask, wear it. (laughs) wear it for the people that you see, wear it for your male person, wear it for the people in the grocery store. It's incredible to me for me to still see people without a mask. And here's the the thing. When I see people out in the streets without a mask, I want to say something. But as a Black woman, I am afraid to say something because I'm like, is this a moment where this individual might pop off? Like, you don't know when people be holding like you don't know so I'd be like man it's just better for me to not go to that side of the store and just mind my business and do what I need to do because I definitely don't want to get into an argument or a fight with a person who's not wearing a mask like I don't want to be nowhere near this person and so mm-hmm. it's it's difficult I think in this space to even be able to declare agency over my space and my body over when I go to Target and because people feel entitled to 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 not wear it, and so again, like, let's do what we can to um, just keep each other safe. Let's do what we can to honor the the lives of the folks that are lost and the lives of the folks that are still here who are still grieving those losses. Let's let's do what we can to to keep folks safe during this holiday season and beyond. Um, so so again, thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you for for sharing that, Antoine and I mean, you're gonna have a heck of a time editing this because it's been over an hour, but I wanna um I wanna I guess it might be cool for us to to kind of close out and let folks know what to expect in 2021. I mean, first and foremost, we had a blast with the series. just the whole concept of creating mm. series, right?
1: Mhm, I agree. I love the series and I would like to continue. I don't know if, uh, I don't, we haven't necessarily picked our next, uh, people that we want to talk to, um, to create some sort of series, but I think we want to continue to have like these really delicious conversations with folks that, um, they just allow you to see their new perspective. Like, like I remember I always tell guests, like they're like, What are what should I expect? I'm like, I don't know. Like we talked to we talked to Laugh Crump about who invented the remix. So like it can it was go a anywhere. It wasn't babyface, by the way. Man, it should have been like New Jack Swing. Didn't they do remixes I don't
0: know too? The, I really feel like remixes. Who I don't know who invented remixes, but I will say Diddy definitely popular popularized remixes. Like he did a whole album of just the remixes. Like, I mean, do we care who invented it? Like, who made it great though? You can't say remix without Diddy. <laughs> you,
1: can't. you can't. You can't.
0: I mean, Destiny's Child's first album, they had some remixes they would have like no 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 part one they didn't want to call them remixes though they were calling it part two and they had a yeah, few singles true. where it was like well why do I want a slow version of part one I don't want this who asked for this um, <laughs> <laughs> so obviously you can expect more of those conversations uh more of a, a no uh a no code switch zone um yeah, I mean, I, I think the series conversations were, were incredible. And so we have kind of loosely talked about groupings, but um, definitely that's something you can expect more black and brown, more BIPOC um, amazingness happening in the space, um, more series conversations, which is helpful because then you can plan for that when you know what series is coming up and you know who our interviewers are coming up and you can kind of promote it that way too um we hope something that we have been talking about though is bringing on more um playing more independent music on the show
1: uh, yeah yeah i'm i'm listening to more milwaukee music um and i just want to know can i borrow a feeling can I, can we use some of those tune skis, um, to really highlight the dope songs that we, yeah, we want to highlight the, uh, the dope songs that we hear. So, um, we're going to start reaching out to local artists that we think are dope, um, to start sharing songs. So hopefully you got a couple more minutes when you listen to our podcast to listen to some new songs. I got a question. How? Um, Work-wise, as your role in supporting artists, um, what are you looking forward to in 2021? Hmm.
0: All right, so what I'm looking forward to is um, a few things. I think one, um, for those unfamiliar at Imagine MKE, we, uh, we like to do a lot of work within our work group. So each of the staff people have a work group connected to their their area. So mine, of course, is support for artists, support and outreach. Um, Antoine's is neighborhood partnerships. Lindsay is marketing and PR. And then David is public policy. And so I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to inviting more folks to be a part of our work on the work group across disciplines. Um, looking forward to doing more, more system work. And so I think the thing that brought me to imagine is how do we create an equitable system that allows every artist to be successful across disciplines? That's so, that's so important to me, across disciplines for everyone to have an opportunity and access to funds. So if, you know, the visual art space has access to funds, I think podcasters need access to government funds. If, you know, so-and-so is hiring a culinary artist for their event, I think they should also be hiring a musician for their event who's Milwaukee-based. And so how do we create that system on both ends, right? So on the demand side, how do we encourage business owners and um, organizers and nonprofits to think about the arts sector differently in a way that they see this as a workforce? Um But what are the systems that also help keep our artists protected? And so I know we've talked about a few things in the office and I'm like, yeah, but artists don't have health care. So how do we make sure all the artists have health care and that they have access to food? Because if you are sick and hungry, you are not thinking about doing art. So I think I'm I'm interested in continuing to build out those systems with the work group. Um, And I'm honestly, something that's been really exciting for me is thinking about Writing different op-eds um, that speak about arts and equity work, um, and of course, obviously interested in some intersectionality between our work groups. I think it makes sense, and so interested in finding finding the ways for us to work together. What about you?
1: Um, I'm I'm always excited. I love so I love my work group because it is a mix of neighborhood partners who have key strategies and objectives that they view as avenues for success. And um, and what I love is that rather than asking these groups now to say, you know, just add more art. I think uh, now we're starting to be a little more strategic and system thinking as to how, how art is a vehicle to those things. So like how art is a vehicle for job creation um, and economic development and, and those kind of things, because um, imagine as a whole is sort of shifting um, the lens in which we're looking to dive into this work um, adding, uh, building a connection or a bridge or an olive branch from uh, the art world and the public health world. Um, and so I think I've experienced that same thing in community gardens, where um, I was running the city's community garden program, and a lot of the measures for success in in urban ag is like, how many pounds of food did you grow? Like, that's a big thing. And although I would see that and we did count that, that wasn't necessarily the biggest benefit that I saw when working with these groups. Um, Like seeing people who didn't really know each other come together to solve a problem seeing people feel a little more prideful about their neighborhood seeing them getting more informed about the things that are going on in their community i think those were things that i used to see in my work that wasn't necessarily related to the growing or the pounds of stuff that's grown and i i see the same sort of shift in conversation mm-hmm. and imagine um, and seeing my work change from how many, you know, things of public art was built to um, how deep is the trust between community and their neighborhood partners, um, as well as like diversifying the the levels in which we engage in our neighborhood partnerships group, um, a lot of it was um, resident like resident groups or youth-based groups and those are great groups to start with. Um, but to add more layers um, for me seems a little more um, interesting and fascinating. So like thinking about how commercial corridors can be impacted from neighborhood partnerships um, with the with arts groups. Um, and seeing how like bids can take advantage and how NIDs and tiffs could be used, and those are all just like fancy city terms for other funding, but um, but just thinking about how to engage art in a larger, um, in a larger perspective, um, as well as still holding tight the things that we have built over the past year because we've done a lot of good things.
0: But I'm also thinking about the great impact that COVID had on so much of the programming in the city and our programming at Imagine and KE. Mm -hmm. Um, And so something that I'm very curious about as we move forward is how do we develop sustainability during COVID and beyond? So that should this happen again, how are we protected? I mean, because... I mean, this really threw people into a tailspin, myself included, you know, I'm a content creator outside of my time at Imagine. And I mean, it took me eight months, like I just figured out last week, what my content could look like, you know, being created safely, being created with a team during COVID when the numbers are still increasing, but it took eight months. And I was trying to think of something and nothing felt right until we I came up with what I came up with, but I think that's the case for everybody. You know, if we see that, you know, the national scene is moving a particular way with virtual music fests and things like that, where is the money for that in Milwaukee? And how do we start creating those Mm. funds so that we can make sure it's there if that's the new wave? And so I think that's something that I'll be interested in i'm super appreciative that i get to hold this space with you it's been it's been great it's been really cool and i'm looking forward to a another year of black excellence and black imagination
1: Mm -hmm. and more black conversations uh so everybody be on the lookout uh have a great holiday um treat your family nice by wearing a mask or else I will come through your TV like Samara in the ring.
0: I don't know what that means guys, but it scared me. So let's just not let it happen.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like come through your, come through your speaker, slap you upside the head, make you wear the mask. I don't want
0: any of that energy. I don't even have large enough speakers for Antoine to come out of, but I don't, I don't want that energy. So just (laughs) everybody just wear your mask.
1: Yes, please. And uh, you guys have a great day. Thank you so much, Kanita, for being an awesome co-host and partner in building. And um, I look forward to uh, to doing more episodes and, and talking more to our viewers, our listeners. Yes. So you guys have a good one. Be safe and take Let's care. Let's get
0: it. Gang, gang.
1: Gang, gang. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Black Imagination with Antoine and Kanita. Black Imagination is a part of the Imagine MKE podcast. Be sure to rate us five stars, share a positive review. It really helps people find us. Also, be sure to email us at pod at Imagine MKE. Don't forget to like us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under Imagine underscore MKE. Anything else you'd like to mention, Kanita?
0: You can also find us on Facebook at Imagine MKE.
1: So, uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you on the next show. All right. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day.